Welcome, my name is Loriana Ednanda Saldama, two-time cancer survivor and patient advocate and author. You are listening to Stage Free, a place where we help cancer patients find the tools and resources they need to master survival. Cancer survivorship begins the day you are diagnosed. Now, over time, you may beat it or learn to live with it. Whatever the outcome, you probably wanna talk about it, and that's where we can help. Each week, I will share my insights and personal experience along with notable experts and cancer survivors. Together, we can help patients navigate the complicated road that all survivors must travel. The goal, we want everyone to have an equal chance to not only survive, but most importantly, to thrive. Hi everyone, I'm Loriana Ednanda Saldama. I am so honored and privileged to be your host of our podcast, Stage Free. And it's really time to talk mastering survival for Stage Free. We focus on mastering survivorship, and I know it is hard work, because I myself have to do that every single day. And like you, I know it's not just about surviving and the QOL of quality of life matters, it's about thriving. Together, we will share the challenges that survivors face, and I know there are many, and then transition from diagnosis to everyday life. And today we are speaking with my amazing sister, Lisa, and she and I have a bond of sisterhood, of course, like many sisters, but for us, it is so much more. My sister and I, my sister saved my life. It doesn't get more personal than this because I also have her DNA, so here we go. I get emotional because without my sister, my son would not have a mother. So I try not to cry over this, but I'm so grateful every day. Even when we fight, I'm like, I better not fight with my sister. She gave me life. So I want to introduce to you my beautiful sister, Lisa, who is a wife, a mother, a teacher, just so valuable to our Armor Up for Life team. She means so much to all of us, but to me especially, so... I'm, I'm sorry, because you know I'm the emotional mm-hmm. one. Um, I'm just grateful to have you here. And I yeah, know, I'm glad to be here. And I know you're, you're <laughs> I, I really had to almost bribe you to get here because you don't like being on TV. No, there, no. there, there you have it. Not usually. Not usually. This is, this is worth it. It's an important um, story to tell. And we do, we have each other's DNA and I'm, I'm grateful for that. Like when I tell people, why don't we say that now that I have her DNA, that um, when we started this, not that she was heavy, but I, I weighed less than her. And now that I have her DNA, I weigh more than her and she weighs less than me. And I, so I, I joke around about it. That she, but anyway, that's all the meds that we're on, the chemo pills that we love. So anyway, I want to get started because I, I, family history is so important when we talk about cancer. I, I never realized that in all my years of reporting as a news anchor and medical reporter. I don't think you remember me covering that kind of story. But I want to start from the beginning of when how i was living my life and when i was diagnosed with aml leukemia like tell me how you when you would watch me in my craziness tv yeah, world well we couldn't believe the schedule that you would keep so you had a young child he was a, a baby and you were up at 3 a.m on the news on the set by what like five no i was uh, up at 145 uh, and on the set by three okay so and you were just burning the candle at both ends um we didn't think it was like a schedule that you could keep up for like this wasn't something that you could do indefinitely. We just, um, and we were just worried about you and your level of stress. So yes, stress was playing a huge role in my life. And you would, you would argue and say, you need to stop. You need to slow down. And what did I say? I'll sleep when I'm dead. That was your famous saying, I'll sleep when I'm dead. And we were always so worried about you. Um, I would come out to visit twice a year and it stressed me out to watch you, (laughs) your level of stress in your daily life and and, and just how you were trying to just trying to do everything and you can't do everything. So. And, and my husband, Caesar, lived across the country. We had a newborn wow. baby. 
not only did we do fertility, but then we thought, oh, let's defy odds a little more. We're going to hold down our dream jobs in other areas of the country. And how many times you're like, who's going to make the decision? Who's going to quit? I think you guys were just waiting it out to see who was going to, who was going to, who was going to quit first. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, no, the diagnosis really just made you take a step back and realize, um, like, I, you can't do this forever. You can't work, you can't keep up that schedule and that speed and that amount of stress indefinitely. So I think it's made just how you live your life. It's just changed everything and how you prioritize everything with your family and balancing work and um, family life. And, and still, once in a while, you still have to remind me, like, hey, why are you so stressed? You survived two cancers. You need to slow it. So every once in a while, you need your family member to remind you, and, yeah. and especially you. But I want to go to the beginning with the AML leukemia diagnosis. It was earth shattering. I was Emmy award winning journalist, fitness, clean eating, fitness reporter, clean eating, green drinking, yoga enthusiast. And I, I thought I was invincible because so many people think they are invincible. Like I did. I thought I'm going to help everyone else get fit, but me, I am fit. Nothing's going to happen to me. Right. Yeah. And I started telling you how tired I was. And I was in the midst of a treatment while living across the country from my husband. Let's, let's try for a second, maybe with fertility in the midst of that. And it just seemed crazy what we were doing. Yeah, I thought you were a little crazy, but I thought, well, if anybody can pull it off, she can. <laughs> um, but I remember I was sitting at dinner with a friend, and then we got the phone call that uh, with that you were diagnosed with leukemia, and I and I was just in shock. And within a few days, we were meeting Caesar at the airport with, with yeah with baby Gabriel. So so was, baby Gabriel, my son was two years old at the time. He and wasn't even. I think he was eighteen months. Yeah, you're right, and. Uh, you're right. He was 18 months. And I remember I, I had been misdiagnosed by two doctors. Uh, and I always point that out because I say I had privilege and access. And we talk about that, that I got into other doctors who said, no, no, you're just a new mom trying to have it all. You have a demanding career. And they dismissed it. And it was my fertility doctor, Dr. Cavusi, who said, no, I'm concerned. I think you have cancer. And he did that bone marrow biopsy. And as much as you look, you've been part of events that I did fundraisers, we raised money for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Yeah. But then the walk. when I was diagnosed, we forgot, like, what is it? What is leukemia? Oh, it's a blood cancer. It's running through your, your blood. It's everywhere. And I remember calling up uh, somehow because you were like, okay, you can either hide behind it or you can share it on social media and get help. Right. I said, use your contacts. Yeah. Put it out there. Find out. Who, who do you know that's out there that can help? Because part of me was a little, like, ashamed. How did this clean-eating reporter tell you? Yeah, like you were embarrassed. Yeah, I was embarrassed. I'm telling you, drink these green drinks. You're not going to get cancer. And then I had it. But then when you said, use your contacts, you know so many people. And I had to remember, I'm going to leverage my contacts. I'm going to ask for help. Within 48 hours, Dr. Mark Levis from Johns Hopkins, world-renowned, and we love him because he always mm -hmm. takes his, like, flash drive out. Well, let me give you the stats. He's got so yeah, many. Yeah, he said, I have a bed waiting for you. I remember that, and and then you look at other people. They the wait time is much longer for your just average person who doesn't have the contacts that you had to um, to start treatment. Yeah, don't you? Agree? Yeah, no, it was. I my privilege and my access and having connections paved the way for me. And I always say, who you know shouldn't determine if you live. And that's why we have Armor for Life. That's why we're advocating. But for me, I'm. Uh, you're right. At the time when they're telling me you have a 25 percent chance of survival. I'm going to do all I can and I'll leverage my contacts. So tell me about that moment when, so I flew to Johns Hopkins by myself and Caesar, my husband flew to bring Gabriel. Right. We met him at the airport and literally we're handed a, my nephew, a stroller 
and a suitcase. And then, I mean, that, that's tough. That's tough. He was in an unfamiliar environment. We were tr- co- trying to cope with just the shock of your diagnosis. So we were we were upset about you, plus trying to get a baby settled and establish some normalcy for him so that he was, you know, we were you know, taking the best possible care of him that we could um, without letting him pick up on our stress and us being upset. So that was just a hard dance to, that was hard to pull off there at the beginning until we all settled into a routine. So, and thank goodness he was young enough that, you know, was, you can distract them and, you know, we, we just did lots of activities with him. And, but I remember it was, would break my heart like to FaceTime you because at that age he didn't understand. I could see my mom through an iPad, but, you know, why can't I see her in person? So it was tough. It, it was, was so tough. hard for me because I would cry. And sometimes when I'd hold my phone, I would tilt it to the side so he wouldn't see me cry. Because I remember Dr. Levis saying, I thought I was going to be there for two weeks or something. Like, hook me up to some chemo, send me home. And then next minute he says, oh, you need to put your armor on, which is where I got armor for life. You're going to be here for the year if you get out alive. You have 25% chance. Yeah, he kind of shut straight. Like, he, he was transparent. He was He's very raw. transparent. He didn't sugarcoat anything. And I appreciate it, but it was it was hard to hear. And But I remember that as time wore on, that he started to forget me. And you would know it. And in fact, sorry, at some point he called you mom. Yeah. But, yes. And I work with young children, and they do that. They forget you. I have kids in my class that they don't remember me the next, you know, three months, four months, five months from now. But when it's your own child, that's that's hard. That's very hard to... And I was happy in some way because I thought if I die that I knew you could raise him and take good care of him and he called you mom. But at the same time, I kept telling the doctors, I'm going to die of a broken heart if I can't see my son soon before I ever die of this cancer that I need to see my son. And they kept saying, you have to put faith over fear. If you see him now, you're neutropenic, which means you have no white counts to fight any infection. You're going to die. Right. And we had him in daycare and in playgroups and things. So he had been around a lot of other children so just for from a safety standpoint, you couldn't be around him, you know, in person because you could get sick. Yeah, so. and it was so hard. For, and I kept saying, like, how do I redeem myself? How how did I miss this story in all my years of reporting? I always tell you on the phone, like, how did I not tell this Ever, story? Yeah. I felt so guilty. Like, I didn't realize there are families being ripped apart. I mean, now there are a lot of treatments that you can do at home. But with the blood cancer space, like AML is considered somewhat rare. It's like rare. Not enough, there's not enough treatment for AML. The chemo I got was like what you would get in 1960. I got full body radiation. And then at the time they were like, oh, well, we don't, we only have research for your mutation if you were German, not Cuban. Um, And we don't know, we're not sure of the protocol. Well, if there's any place you want to be where they don't know which way to go, it's Hopkins because they put their heads together and made an educated guess. And you want them guessing, not somewhere else. So I was relieved of that, but I was so shocked that I was going to be there for a year. Then they tell me. You did have some breaks. You had a few times during that year. Yeah. But not a lot. But and, and each time having to leave him in the middle of the night, and I kept saying, do I say goodbye to him or do I not say goodbye? If I say goodbye, then it's harder on him. So right. some, sometimes I would just sneak out in the middle of the night, and I would say, like, just don't, I don't want to kiss him goodbye because it's too traumatic for him, too traumatic for me. And so... Then 10 months into this treatment, they tell me, I sign up, I was in one in a trial, and they tell me, they looked at my circulating cells and your cancer's coming back. 
and I had already had so much chemo and I was fit and I was working hard, like get me out of here. And then they said, you need a bone marrow transplant. Like this is the only hope, but this is what you're getting now what two patients and because you're fit, you can get all this chemo. But then they said, you don't have a match. The only match is your sister. And we're worried she can give you back the mutation. We don't know what she's going to give you. Do you remember reaching right, and out? I did all the testing. And now had that happened today, I, they wouldn't have even allowed me to be a match because now there's just different restrictions on age of who they're allowed to be a donor. So it just, like, thank God it worked out the way that it did. And they did put me through. I did a lot of medical testing. I, oh, I'll never forget the day when they said, we have to test your sister. Like, it's, she's not a guarantee. She has to pass psychological tests because people, once we drain you of, like, all this blood and we get you ready for the transplant. if They, they have had family members that have backed out, they told me when they did the psychological testing. They're like, and they did tell me, you don't have to do this. I'm like, who would not do this for their family member? They said, no, we have people that back out that don't do it. And I, I remember, because I said to the doctor, well, what will happen if my sister doesn't pass the test? And he said, you will succumb to the disease and die. And I was like, how is this? Because there's a very small window, right? Remind there's a window. They said, if you, you we, it's not like you can just go get a bone marrow transplant whenever they just happen to find a match. It has to happen within a certain amount I was of coming a certain window. Out, right. I was coming out of remission from each chemo treatment. And they said, if we don't pass your sister and you need a two-week protocol of all these tests, if you come out of remission, it's like a race against time before the transplant, you will die. If your sister didn't pass the test, you're going to 100% die. And I knew of people who had died, who on the hall were waiting, but I also knew people who weren't like, didn't have minorities or people of color and they had five and six matches and I had none. And I'm thinking, how is this, all this possible? I have to educate. And I knew this story was bigger than me. And I started reporting from my bedside. But then once I remember when you did the psychological testing, I was sitting outside the door, just like knocking and being like, are you done with her? Like, like just said, just pass her, pass her. And I remember having like a nervous breakdown because yeah. I thought you have to pass. So then fast forward, I get to a hundred days. My insurance would not cover. Remember I was staying right. in the hospital and I had to stay in the other, in the outpatient place. Right. I remember that. But then I had to get mom. I, mom was so helping. Hackerman. Hackerman. And then that was hard because you couldn't come out because you were busy taking care of Gabriel. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't leave because mom, you know, mom was older. Having a could, nervous breakdown. Well, I mean, it's hard for a 70-year-old to take care of a, of a toddler. And so she didn't have the stamina to do that. So I had to be the one to stay home and do that. And so, yeah, it was just like a race against time. It was just, it was crazy. She would call me and say, I can't do it with her accent. I can't do this. And I'm like, I'm hooked up to chemo. I apparently can't die because you can't handle this right now. So it would stress me out, and but it did bring up psycho-oncology, which is what we talk about all the time. Like, where was the psychological help? Were you worried, like you're thinking like your mental well-being? I was cracking. Yeah, and it's, I think there's a lot more available now in the field of like social-emotional and uh, psycho-oncology, just like there is in integrative medicine. But even in 2014, there really wasn't anything available in that space. Yeah. Well, and I remember once you got approved, they sent me home October 11th and said, go home, take pictures with your son, get a Christmas tree. And you and I were running around Walmart, remember? Mm -hmm. Getting a tree because they said, we don't know if you're going to live and you need pictures. And that They were brutal. <laughs> they were brutally honest. Yeah, that was... It was so heartbreaking. And that tree I put up every October 11th. I said, mm -hmm. if, I, if I live, this damn tree, if I can't say that, you can cut that word out, but this tree is going up every October 11th. We're going to call it the tree of life. 
and we celebrate and we have that party every year. This year, though, Gabriel said we're in a new neighborhood. And I have to explain to my friend, why does your sister put her Christmas tree up in October? So I have to tell him the whole story. It's the tree of life. So. And so going through all of that together, then I had the transplant on October 29th. And, but I keep all my traditions, don't I? Yes, you do. So here we go. I go through two can. I, well, I go through one breast, one cancer, AML leukemia. Recovery was terrible. It was so hard on me. We moved. My husband lost his job. We moved to another city. We we're just like moving in TV, and you know, you think you can relax for a minute, like, oh, I punched a time card of suffering. We have a party on the fifth anniversary, and boom, I call you again. Yeah, it was like a bad dream. She said, "I have." said, I have breast cancer, and I, I just I couldn't believe it. Because nobody in our family really had breast cancer. Had bre- yeah, we didn't really well, have a family history. Except mom's sister, which we didn't realize it had. We didn't know talk the about it. Right. Because, again, this is important. When you're sitting around the table for Thanksgiving or the holidays, talk about your family history. And here we're going to, because we're going to give you a whole zinger here. So we didn't know about our aunt's breast cancer. Right. And her radiation. And so I get breast cancer, and they're like, oh, it could be from your full body radiation. It could be from your new DNA. We don't know. And now they said no. Then, but or but you don't have BRCA. We know there could be other genetic markers. So I go through that. Yeah, you were like me. You didn't have any of the genetic markers. Yeah, I have a horrible recovery. Three infections, two readmissions during the pandemic. And I'm like, listen, if I can fight cancer at home with my son, I'm happy. Like I can get through this. Right. <clears throat> but then, thank goodness for home health care. Right. But then two years to the two years, Caesar says, hey, let's move to Atlanta. I'm going to take a job in Atlanta. And it's perfect because you being near your mom and sister and they can help you. <laughs> right? Little did you know. <laughs> Little did you know. Uh, you would be helping me. Yeah, because then I. Um, well, it was mom first. Oh, yep. Yep. She was first. So she had a scratchy throat. Um, and she kept saying, it's allergies, it's allergies. I have a lot of drainage and you need to go to the doctor and her primary care. Wait, wait, here's the, this is the best part. What did the primary care say? Oh, you have laryngitis. And you and I were like, laryngitis. That just doesn't You've had a laryngitis for a long time. Like this is, I say this. Like months. So we're like, who's your primary care? Cause I want to talk to him. Well, yes, I know. See, she gets tired of my stories. No, no, sometimes. Just don't mention any names. No, I'm not mentioning any names. I'm just saying this is the reason you (laughs) have to advocate for yourself. Because we were like, this sounds suspicious. Like, my doctors told me anything that doesn't go away. I met people in the hospital who had a bug bite that never healed, and then they found out they had leukemia. So when your body doesn't heal, something's wrong. So we took her to a new doctor who recommended an ENT and found out it was throat cancer. Then after the throat cancer, I, I, it was so triggering, PTSD for me, hearing clear the margins, take her to all her appointments, and we're like, may we never hear the C word again. And then, bam, then what? So I hurt my shoulder at the gym, you remember, and in like rubbing my shoulder, I noticed a lump under my arm, went to my, I had an upcoming appointment for my yearly, and they said, yeah, that just doesn't feel right. Let's just get it biopsied. I'm like, this is like a cyst or something. This is like, this really can't be anything because if it is, it's a made-for-TV movie. Um, so, and get it biopsied. And they're like, yeah, you have, uh, that's malignant. Like, you have breast cancer. And I'm like, you have got to be. I mean, I was just like, just yeah, ticked off. I'm like, you've got to be getting me. Are you, are you sure you have the right person? Because um, this can't all happen in one family at the same time. 
But yeah, um, stage three, because it had gone to my lymph nodes, and my last two previous mammograms were clear. Or so they thought. Did they think no. later that they looked clear, but they missed they just, something? No, I had dense breast tissue, and so um, they pulled the last two mammograms. I had clear reports. I had the letter that they send you in the mail. Did they do mammograms? Yeah, mammograms. I, I mean, mean, and ultrasounds, because now they No, say, I never had an ultrasound. Because so, they say I sometimes... I just had mammograms. I had two mammograms, for so the last two proof because... To have a three centimeter tumor and have it a, a local, locally metastasized to your axillary for a lymph node, I had two lymph nodes um, that were positive. They said that's been there for like two years. So they missed it. They missed they didn't it have an ultrasound two, because I didn't have an ultrasound. So I felt. I remember falling to my knees and calling my friend Geneva and screaming at the top of my lungs, saying, "I'm going to have a nervous breakdown. Like I can't." And all I could say was. I know you didn't want to ask for help. You didn't want to go fund me. You were yelling at me. I don't want help from people. I can do this. And I said, my sister saved my life. I'm going to do everything I can to save hers. Everything. Because I, my son has a mother. My husband has a wife. And I had to fight you. Yeah, I know. To get help. You're the extrovert. I'm the <laughs> introvert. So, yeah, I didn't want any help. Um, you didn't even I'm want a big social media poster or anything like that so yeah i was like i'm just gonna go to my appointments and just deal with this so um but i i drove you through your appointments and some of them like i had a little breakdown and you're like just please don't come in because they were so triggering for me yeah i would leave screaming and crying and the doctor's like and i'm just like a note taker i just went in there just here's my paper tell me what i need to do when do i need to show up but there was so much i remember sitting around in the room and the doctors all walked in and when they heard ama leukemia she had breast cancer their mom had throat cancer the aunt and they walked in and they're like, did you have a basement growing up? They started asking all these questions. Yeah, like, where did you grow up? Like, where, where did you we're like, Tell well, us about where you used to live. Like, we had some kind of radioactive, like, place we lived. But, you know, uh, who knows? I mean. We didn't. And we're, we're like, well, we're, we're living where we grew up because I moved back there. So hopefully it's not going to cause any more trauma. But we were shocked at the questions. And we're like, okay, right. what do we need to know? And then tell our family history, you know, share it with others right, because right. share it with, we started reaching out to other family members to say, here's what Lisa's going through. Here's what my mom had and talk to your family because you have to share because you have to know your family history. A lot of times in the research that you and I do, because you're the teacher, so you research a lot better than I do because I cry and get too emotional. But a lot of times I can just compartmentalize is what I do. <laughs> I'm good at compartmentalizing everything. So well, because we hear that families like they're like, oh, you know, um, Susie or Esther or whoever, she she has stage four breast cancer. Well, no, she just didn't tell you about it when she had stage one. Right. Yeah. So how it's so important to talk about right. it at the dinner table, at, at the family reunions or the get-togethers, right? And I don't even think they, you know, and I remember going to my regular GYN appointment, and they give you an iPad, and they. Have you filled out your family history? And I filled that out. That's when I had the two clear mammograms. And I did indicate that you had had breast cancer and that you had had, that we had cancer in the family. And they still were like, you're good. No, they didn't even offer an ultrasound to uh, me. So, um, which drives me crazy because now I tell people, I remember when I was diagnosed. I, was, I do tell everybody, you uh, need to get an ultrasound. Get an ultrasound and also advocate for yourself. I'm not saying... Like, I pushed to get a 3D mammogram, and I wasn't even in pain. I said I was in pain because I was paranoid with my PTSD. And I thank God I did because mine was stage one, and I caught it early. But I know then there was so much to absorb. I remember then you go, you have to get a, pa you had a patient navigator, and you're like, well, do I call, call 
They don't answer. Oh, they're the overwhelmed. Nurse navigator. That was the biggest joke ever. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. No, well, you meet your team. You When you get diagnosed, you go into a room. You've got like five doctors in there, the radiation oncologist, your regular hematology oncologist, the breast surgeon, plastic surgeon, if you're interested in reconstruction, and then your nurse navigator, who you meet one time. I met her one time, and then I never saw the woman ever again for an entire year. You could leave her voicemails, and then she would write you back on the portal, but like I never even got to speak with her. Because they're also overwhelmed. So we have a big yeah. problem in, in right. healthcare that they're overwhelmed, but... Well, thank goodness we had private insurance that offered like a navigator provided to me through our private insurance that helped kind of like guide me through everything, who I could call and ask questions with. I had like a scheduled weekly call with her every week because but yeah, and the I hospital drove, didn't offer that. I drove you to 12 weeks of chemo, and then you had radiation that you did locally because we were well, driving. I five months of chemo, so I had three weeks of the... Oh. Different, well, yeah. You it's had taxane. It's not a. I can't. Two different brand. kinds of of chemo. But I remember it was so stressful, and I would cry sometimes the whole way to the hospital. And I actually got a magnet. Oh, <laughs> because I, hate, I hated the magnet. <laughs> I can't she drive a magnet on the car. I have anxiety. I don't drive in traffic well, but I I can do it when I have to, like to save her life or to save mine. So I remember I put a magnet on the car that said um, "Straight out of chemo." Because this way, when I wave my arm out the window, someone would let me change lanes. So I would go as as far as taking my watch off. And I would slink off. down in the seat. And I'd be like, I, I got to change me. lanes. And they're like, she's like, I don't want people to know I have cancer. I'm like, well, t I don't care who it is. I need to get you there. I can't change lanes. That's a whole I'm other nauseous. story. I'm in the front seat with a bucket post-chemo, like headed home. And she's got the giant magnet on the side of the car. And I'm just like, you know. But when staring, but at it was us. a team effort, and it really, you know, the whole point of this this whole conversation is that it is not just know your family history because you could also be at risk, and you need to increase your screenings if you have like an estrogen dominant cancer. Maybe your children can't be on certain types of uh, medication like birth control. Things change. You need to know your history to help protect those for generations to come, and also you need to also reach out to your family. That there's nothing to be ashamed of. Like say like forty percent are going to get some sort of cancer. So wave the flag and ask for help. And when we say wave the flag, that's why I started Armor for Life in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And I know it's so excited to have you help and volunteer too, because we're all volunteers and this is what we do. And we were like, when we had these discussions, what are we gonna, what do we do? Well, we help people master survival, right? Right, yeah. Because you even once you, you speak to the large masses and i like to work one-on-one -on -one people <laughs> but it, it it is good to have like a mentor and speak with someone who's newly diagnosed to kind of say hey here's what worked for me here's what didn't this is something you might want to try um you might want to ask these questions at your next appointment because i had you for that but a lot of people just you know go into this they don't they don't have any support they don't have anyone that's been through it they don't have anyone to ask questions and they don't they know what kind of cancer like they have from like online support groups but we're like is it erpr positive her to negative and they're like I, what, what does that mean and we cover that in another episode right, right. after us a lot so. of people get diagnosed and they don't even know what type of cancer they have so it really is so important to understand how to manage your survivorship ask family for help it's okay to ask for help, and that's why we do what we do. Um, I forgot, and you need to know about the lymph nodes, how much lymph node involvement. There's just a, we're almost out of time, but there's so much to cover. Right. Um, is there anything else that we missed about knowing your family history and, and talking to family members? I mean, the whole thing is traumatic. Like my PTSD, we we handle things differently. That's something people. Well, one thing I do remember before I went to the larger hospital that I ended up 
completing my treatment with, I went to a smaller local hospital, and they didn't even offer genetic testing. Um, I asked, and they were like, eh, you don't, you know, we're, it's not going to change the way that we treat you. And I'm thinking, well, actually it will, but... Um, yeah, they just kind of dismissed it, whereas when we changed providers, they were like, yeah, it's a very big, it's an important piece of the puzzle to know your genetic history. Right. So, um, And also being at a research hospital gives you opportunity to participate in clinical, clinical trials. trials, which, you know, as I finish, I have, I'm taking a targeted treatment right now that I'll finish for two years, and then I'm going to go into a clinical trial and take another medication that helps prevent recurrence um, that's just now available to early stage breast cancer survivors that like in the non-metastatic setting. But I wouldn't have even been eligible for that if I was not at a larger research so, hospital. Right, and you're on more medicine post breast cancer than I am, but one of the pills we share in common and the side effects were like, oh, we, like our knee collapses going down the steps. We're like, oh, my neck, Insomnia. my back. Insomnia. You, you get a lot sleep. done because you don't sleep. So <laughs> so we all complain and limp, and go, but we still armor up for life, and we yeah. still prehab and get our workout. Hey, there. I walked three miles a day through chemo. Even on the days I had chemo, I walked a mile and a half. My toenails fell off. I cut holes in my shoes, and I kept walking. And you got to keep, you have to armor up even during treatment because, you know, laying on the couch watching Netflix is good, and you deserve to have a day like that every now and then, but you got to keep moving. You well, gotta keep stay active. Good advice. If you have any other one one word before we go, or you just want to come back on again, because we have so much. I'll to be share. back. I'll be back. Because you do all the research. She has so much research. When I can't mentally handle it, I'm like, Lisa, can you look it up and just tell me if I'm gonna die? And she's like, This is not you. You don't have this because I have such triggering. She, so I always ask her these crazy questions and send her stuff. And, and, but really, lean on your lean on your family. Lean in. Let them help you. Wave the flag. Leave on lean on friends. But know your family history, especially as the holidays come up. It's so important. And thank you. I love you Thanks. for love giving you. me the gift of life. And soon we will be celebrating in the month of October, putting the tree up, the tree of life, and my October 29th uh, new birthday. Love you. Love you. Thank you for listening to our podcast, Stage Free. Join us every week for a new podcast featuring thought leaders and experts will help cancer survivors not only survive, but ultimately thrive throughout treatment and recovery as they learn how to master survival. Learn more about us at armorupforlife.org.